Laodicea. Now we're going to read the scripture here in a moment, but I need to set this church up for you. This is known as the lukewarm church. Remember, you've heard preachers preach on this before. The lukewarm church. And uh, sometimes people say, you know, that the last church that will be upon the earth before Jesus comes is going to be a lukewarm church. Well, there's some truth in that, but there's not the whole truth in that because he's coming back for a glorious church. So there may be some lukewarm churches out there, but there are also some churches that are on fire for Jesus. And I want to be that kind of a church. How about you? That right? Now, this one has probably been talked about more than any of the others because they're luke, no, they were known as a lukewarm church. This was the only church that Jesus had nothing good to say to. Wouldn't that be a category you wouldn't want to be in? The only one he didn't have anything good to say. And yet this church is perhaps the most illustrative church in imagery of all the letters as to what was going on into the city and the church. In other words, let me put it to you this way. Do you remember that we've told you that Jesus, when he said certain things to these churches, unless you knew the history of the church, you really wouldn't know the history of the city or the church. You really wouldn't know what he was saying in, in its entirety. For example, remember when he said to that one church, I have the sharp two-edged sword? Remember that? Well, we, we, we know that we know Jesus has a sharp two-edged sword. We know that. But if you really understood in that city, the, the, the governor in that city had the power of the sword. And he could have killed whoever he wanted with that power of the sword. He could have him executed. So Jesus, when he said to that church, I am the one that have the sharp two-edged sword. What was he saying? He was saying the governor may have a sword, but I have a greater sword. Can you say amen? And, and we saw that again and again in these different churches that when Jesus would say things to them, uh, a lot of times it'd go right over our head unless we understood some things about the city and then some things about the church. You remember us talking about that. And so this church is probably uh, of this imagery and understanding the, the city and the church, etc. This is probably the most powerful of the seven. And you'll see that as we go. Now, this city... Of Laodicea was known for its wealth. And it had a major banking center there with a gold exchange. A gold exchange. Realize that gold exchange? They had a gold exchange. You need to remember that. This city had a gold exchange. Alright? Now also, there had been an earthquake in this region of Laodicea. And the Roman government offered financial assistance to all the cities that had been affected by the earthquake. But Laodicea said that they had need of nothing. We do not need any assistance from the Roman government because we have so much money in the city. We have need of no help. Now, you need to remember that. Okay. They were also known for their medical school particularly as it pertained to eye diseases. And they had invented an eye salve there that would help people that had vision problems. You're, now, you remember that. Say eye salve. 
Okay. And then finally, they had a textile center in the city and they produced a raven black wool garment, which was which indicated the height of fashion. They, they had a textile center in Laodicea and it produced a raven black wool garment. Now, they had dyes and different things that they put on garments, but the height of the height was this black raven wool garment, which indicated the height of fashion. And finally, what you need to know about Laodicea, and then we'll read the scripture concerning it. But having said this, I think that when we read, you'll see it. it knowing what I'm telling you now will help you as we look at the, the church. Now, we Laodicea, there were two other cities. Have you ever heard of the twin cities, like twin cities? Well, there were three cities. There was Laodicea. And then 11 miles to the east was Colossae. And six miles to the north was Heropolis. So there was Laodicea. 11 miles to the east was Colossae. And six miles to the north was Heropolis. And these were known as a triad, not twin cities, but triplet cities, if you will. Uh, Laodicea, Colossae, and Heropolis. Now, what you need to know is this. In Colossae, they had a situation there where their water, they had cold, ice cold springs. And the drinking water in Colossae, it was known as the cold water of Colossae. They had the best drinking water because it was ice cold. They had springs of water there. Real loud, say ice cold. It was ice cold. In Heropolis, six miles to the north of Laodicea, Heropolis was known for its hot water. Hot springs. Hot. And people would go there with ailments and things because they'd want to soak in the hot, like, like hot springs, Arkansas, you know, those hot springs down there. Well, that was the same thing in Heropolis. Hot water. Piping hot. And people would want to go there and soak in the water. Hot. How many of you know cold water is real good? Isn't there's a lot of good uses for cold water? There's a lot of good uses for hot water. Is that right? How many of you like ice, good ice water? You like ice water in the summer? You like ice water? How about in the winter? You like a cup of piping hot tea or something like that? Hot coffee? Have you ever taken a, like you're expecting piping hot tea or coffee and you get it to your mouth and it's... Has anybody ever done that? You know, you're expecting this to be, or you're hot, you just finished playing tennis, and it looks, it looks ice cold, and you just, you just can't wait. Has anybody besides me, or, or Diet Coke, that's just, you're expecting it just ice, just ice cold? Have you ever had ice, uh, Diet Coke is ice cold, that there was a little, little ice chips in it because the refrigerator might have been a little too, too cold. How many you like that? And you're waiting for that. Or ice water. And you just. And. Good thing I did it that way. You'll never forget that, will you? Because I found out it was what? 
Have you ever wanted to do that to lukewarm water or tea? Or, anybody want to see it again? So Colossae, cold water, Heropolis, hot water. Laodicea didn't have its own water, so it had to pipe in water. And some argue that they piped it in from Colossae, some that they piped it in from Heropolis. Uh, depends on who you read after. But they did pipe in their water through aqueducts. From my study of it, they, they piped it in from Heropolis where it was hot. But by the time it made the six-mile trip, guess what? It was what? It was the water in the city was lukewarm. And, and, and Laodicea was known, just as Colossae was known for its cold water and Heropolis for its hot water, Colossae for its cold water, Heropolis hot water, Laodicea was known for its lukewarm Water, because by the time the water got there, it was lukewarm. And when people would put it to their mouth, they they just want to. It almost make them want to want to throw up. It was that it was that bad. You got that? Now, if you understand these things, what we're about to read will make more sense to you. Okay, Revelation three verse fourteen. And to the angel is he right? Do an angel or a pastor? And to the pastor, the church of the Laodiceans, right? These things says the amen, the faithful and true witness. That's Jesus talking. And then he says the beginning of the creation of God. Now, there's a cult out there that uses this verse to tell to tell people that Jesus was the first created being. How many of you know Jesus isn't the first created being? How many of you know he's the second member of the Trinity and all things were made by him and for him? Is that right? You understand that? So don't let any cult person tell, use that scripture to tell you that Jesus was the first created being. No, Jesus is the creator. Now, also, this could have something to do with this beginning of the creation of God. How many of you know Jesus is the firstborn from the dead? Is that right? He's the firstborn from the dead. Now, you understand Jesus was not the first raised from physical death. Wasn't there other people raised from physical death before Jesus? Is that right? I can name a bunch of them. But Jesus was first to be raised as, our, as your representative and mine. He was the first to be raised from that spirit. Wasn't he cut off on the cross? Doesn't the Bible say in the book of Daniel, uh, uh, Messiah will be cut off but not for himself? He was cut off for you and me. Is that right? And so the Bible calls Jesus the firstborn from the dead. He was the first raised from that spiritual separation from God. Can you say amen? First one. Did you get what I just said? You okay with that? First one. Doesn't the Bible call him the firstborn from the dead? Now, he was the first raised from that spiritual separation. And then he got raised from physical death and walked out of the tomb. Is that right? Is that right? Now, what's the difference between Jesus and all the people that we mentioned a moment ago that had been raised from physical death? All those people that had been raised from physical, like Lazarus. How many remembers Lazarus? Was he raised from physical death? Jesus raised him after he'd been dead four days. Is that right? But Lazarus died again, didn't he? Jairus' daughter. Didn't Jesus raise her? 
Yeah, but she probably grew up and eventually got old and died again. Jesus was the first raised from that spiritual separation for you and me. And then he came out of the tomb. Is that right? Never to die again. Can you say praise God? So that may be what this is talking about. Beginning of the creation of God. Either way, it's a blessing, right? Okay, did, did you get what I just said? All right, so let's move on. I know, verse 15, I know your works. He's talking to the church in Laodicea. That you are neither, what? Does that make more sense to you? I could wish you were cold or hot. Now, I've heard people preach this. And I used to preach it myself until I understood what was going on in the city with the water. <laughs> a lot of times you preach this and, you know, well, Jesus would rather have us be hot. Well, we understand that. Or he'd rather have us be cold. I, never, I always struggle with that. Cold. Why would Jesus want me to be cold? He doesn't want us to be cold spiritually. No, what he's talking about here, real loud, say Useful. We said a moment ago, I'll reiterate it. Is hot tea useful? Is ice cold water useful? Yes. But it's that lukewarm that's not very useful. Anybody like taking a lukewarm shower? I don't like taking, I like taking a hot shower. You know, so what he's talking about here is Jesus doesn't want us to be cold. He wants us to be what? He wants us to be, well, you're not getting it, so I'll go back over it with you. Because I've heard preachers preach this and say, he says, I know your works, that you're neither cold or hot. I wish you were cold or hot. Does Jesus want us to be ice cold spiritually? No. But he wants us to be. Now, did you get what did you did you get what we're trying to get across to you here? Jesus, because I've heard people say, well, Jesus said he'd, you know, he'd rather have me just be cold and live in worldly. That's not what he said. He wants you to be what? Useful. See, the hot part of that works. We understand that. But why would Jesus ever want us to be cold spiritually? He doesn't. He wants us to be what? Realize, say useful. Useful. Because hot things are useful. Cold things are useful. He wants us to be useful. And yes, he wants us to be hot on fire for him spiritually. You understand that. But in, in the context of this, real loud, one more time, say useful. He wants us to be useful. He said, I know your works. You're neither cold or hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you or spit you out of my mouth. Remember, we t- just like I spit that water up a moment ago, when Jesus looks at us, you don't want him to be spitting out like that. As he looks at our spiritual, our spiritual life, our, the way we live, do you want him, do you want that? No. What Jesus was doing is he was using the water of this city to relate to these people the condition of their spiritual lives. They had become lukewarm. I said they'd become lukewarm. And so get your mind off the water for a minute and think about the spiritual, the spirituality of these people. They had become lukewarm. And Jesus was simply using the water condition of the city to relate to them 
See, when, when he talked about this lukewarm, everybody knew what he was talking about because of the water of the city. So he used this water, this lukewarm water of the city, to show them what their spiritual lives had become like. And I want to ask you today, how is your spiritual life? Has it become lukewarm? Ask yourself about your service toward God. Let me ask you, what is your prayer life like? How much time do you spend in prayer during the week? This is not to put you down. This is just to get you to think. Examine yourself. How much time do you spend in the word of God during the week? How much time do you share Jesus with others? Do you spend more time gossiping than you do sharing the gospel? Ask yourself that. How's your church attendance? You check yourself out. So many just case sarah sarah. If we get there, we get there. If we don't, we don't. Well, you know. How many of you know? Say 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 every Sunday. You need to find out where the Holy Ghost wants you to go to church and you need to be there every Sunday. Now, nobody can go every Sunday in that. You're going to miss now and then. You're going to have a family thing going on here or there. How many of you know God's reasonable? But as a general rule, every what? So have you become lukewarm in your service to God? Look into your checkbook and see how you're doing with your tithing. You do that. It's none of my business. It's, it's, it's my business to tell you and to love you. It's your business to do something about it. Because if you attend here, you know I'm not going to come after you and try to beat you over the head to get you to do anything. I love you and care about you. I'll be there for you, my wife and I, privately to help you however we can. But I'm not going to follow you around and make you serve God. I'm going to love you and encourage you to do it. But ultimately, you have to do it. Is that right? Are you excited about the things of God? Are you excited about serving God? Or has it become drudgery? If it's become drudgery, there's something wrong. And there's not something wrong with God. There's something wrong with with you or me, whatever the case. You understand what I'm saying? I know what it's like to become lukewarm. I know what it's like to become lackadaisical. I know what it's like to make a commitment to a pastor. And then I had a golf match come up and I called the pastor at the last minute and said, I, I can't make it uh, to run the sound. I left him high and dry and, and I went to uh, uh, play golf. How many of you know that's lukewarm? That's not good. I did that many years ago when I was a kid. But I've grown up spiritually since then. Can you say Amen. I know what it's like to put other things ahead of the Lord. I know what it's like to become, for spiritual walk to become drudgery and church to become drudgery. But you know, in those times, the only problem was yours truly. We've got to keep ourselves stirred up. Did you hear what it just said? And if we don't keep yourself stirred up, you're going to become lukewarm and lackadaisical and... You know, I've watched, I've been doing this a long time. I've watched people over many years, even before we pastored the church. I'm thinking about people that I knew that never attended this church one time that I knew 10 years before we started this church, eight or 10 years. And and I've watched them over the long haul. They're born again. All right. They love Jesus. All right. But they're just as lukewarm and lackadaisical in their service to God today as they were 10, 30 years ago, whatever it was. And they've sat under good teaching. 
They've, they've attended good churches, but they're no different today than, than they were back then. They're born again, going to heaven. But you know what? They've ne- they don't keep themselves, say, stirred up. You've got to keep yourself stirred up. Is that right? Living for God is fun, but, but, but you've got to keep yourself stirred up. And these people didn't. And they, they became lukewarm to the point. Remember when I spit that water out? That's what Jesus thought of these people. He loved them, but he was looking at their spiritual fervency and it had become lukewarm. And he, I don't want Jesus doing that about me, are you? And I do have a responsibility with you to tell you and to try my best to keep you, be a cheerleader to you and keep you going. But ultimately, you've got to do it yourself. Is that right? Now, look at verse 17. They said, because you say I am what? Rich, become wealthy, have need of nothing. Did the city ever say that when they had that earthquake? We have need of Nothing. Remember that? How many remember? They had the earthquake and the Roman government was going to offer Laodicea, the the city, some some money to rebuild. And they said, we've got enough money we have need of. Remember, we've taught you over the last many weeks that either the church will affect the world for good or the world will get into the church and affect it for bad. And that's what happened here. The city got into the church and the church became just like. The city, the church became just like the water supply of the city, lukewarm. The church had the same attitude of the city. We're rich. We have all of our needs met. We have need of nothing. But look what Jesus said. And do you not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? That's a five-point sermon you don't want Jesus to ever have to preach to you. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Did you hear that? Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They wouldn't invite Jesus to preach in a lot of churches in this hour. And you're going to see in a moment they didn't invite him to preach in this church either. Because they didn't like the kind of sermon he was dishing. Five-point sermon, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. But how many of you know, if Jesus is saying that to you, you need to hear it. Now, I'm not saying that to you. I'm telling you that's what Jesus said to Laodicea. Did you hear that? They thought that they were on fire. They thought that they were doing, you know, a good job and all of that. But Jesus said... You're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. We're wealthy. We have need of nothing. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. And then he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Gold. Did they have a gold exchange in that city? And Jesus, no, there's no question in my, from my study of it, there was, a, there was a lot of gold in the church. You know what I mean? Wealthy people in the church. And they had, their, they had not only their needs met, the church, the church treasury was probably full of money. And Jesus said, you don't need that kind of gold. 
Nothing wrong with having money, but it is wrong when money has you. Did you know money can blind you from things, spiritual things? I like what one person said. Uh, he, he said he said you can't serve God and money, but you can serve God with money. That true. And so money had obviously blinded these people from some things. They had so much they had need of nothing. And Jesus said, you don't need the money from the gold exchange out there. You need money. You need gold refined in the fire from me that you may be rich. Remember Jesus said in that one parable, he was talking about, you know, the, the fellow that, that he had a lot of goods in his barns, but he wasn't rich toward God. You can be rich in worldly things, but not rich toward God. And these people had that problem. And he said, you need to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. You need the gold that I have. And white garments, the implication here, obtain from me white garments... That you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. White garments. Remember, they had in the city there black garments. And when someone had one of those black garments, it was the height of fashion. And Jesus said, that's not the kind of garment you need. Because you may have that beautiful black raven garment. But you need... The garment that you get from me. They were naked spiritually. They had the beautiful black garments naturally. But their spiritual life had become so lukewarm that they were naked. And needed to be ashamed before God. You getting what the Holy Ghost is saying to these people? Jesus had nothing good to say to this church. Anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Did they have eye salve in the city? They have a medical clinic there that specializes in eye salve. And nothing wrong with using eye drops. Nothing wrong with medicine and all that. But these people, their natural... Vision was good, but their spiritual vision had become clouded. Nothing wrong with using the eye salve of the city, but Jesus said, hey, be more interested in the eye salve that I have that you may really see. You get that? Now, you look at this and you think, well, this church, Jesus is just is just chewing them out. Yes, he is. And they should be glad that he was. And you should be glad any time Jesus does chew you out or me out. Because if he does it, we have it coming. Remember the church in Philadelphia and the church, I think it was in Smyrna. He had no chewing out for them. But many of the churches he did. He always emphasized the good first. And then he said, but I have a few things against you. Remember that? And. At this church, nothing good to say, but actually, look at verse 19. Everything Jesus is saying to this church is for their own good. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. 
Does Jesus love these people? He loves them. He loves them so much. He loves them enough to tell them the truth. They should be glad they're getting this letter. The last thing you ever want is for God to leave you alone. You need to be concerned when he stops correcting you. Because the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, Jesus said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Remember that? And correct every child that I receive. He says, if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you illegitimate and not true children of God. Remember that from the book of Hebrews? Some people say that this church, that the people in the church were not even saved. I disagree with that. He's writing to the church. These people were saved. How many of you know the new birth is a free gift? Is that right? They received Jesus. These people are saved, but they had grown into such a lackadaisical, lukewarm condition that Jesus was sending this letter in their tomb to slap them upside the head to wake them up so that they'd leave that lukewarm condition. Can you say amen? And get back on fire and hot for him. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. He loved these people. He rebuked them. He chastened them. Therefore, be zealous and repent. I like what one translation says. Be enthusiastic again. Repent. Is it good that we can repent? He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. We often use this when we reach out to sinners, and there's nothing wrong with that because there is truth there too. But notice this, he's standing at the door of his church and he wants back into his church. Remember I said a moment ago they didn't invite Jesus? They wouldn't invite Jesus to preach in this church? That's literally true. Because his message would, 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 would upset them. But they needed his message. And one of the saddest things that I see in the entirety of the Bible is when Jesus is standing outside the church, knocking on the door, and he wants back in. Isn't that sad? But there's good news. At least he's standing there knocking. And that's a good thing. Because it's bad that he's out there and he wants in and can't get in. But the good news is, at least he's still out there knocking. Be real concerned when Jesus stops knocking at your door. He loved these people. He rebuked them. He chastened them. He said, I stand at the door and knock. He said, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come to him and dine with him and he with me. This means he'll take up the principal meal and spend time with them. Isn't that wonderful? Now, I'm almost done here. He says, I'll come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes... I'll grant to sit on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Remember the two sides of overcoming. We become an overcomer when we receive Jesus and get born again. Is that right? But then there's the other side of that. We rise up in the spirit of, the, of God and overcome some things. Is that right? To him who overcomes, I'll grant to sit with me on my throne. How many think that'd be a good seating, seating arrangement there? As I overcame, sat down with my father in his throne, he has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I want to tell you something about Laodicea. Listen carefully, because this is what most people don't know. They're known as a lukewarm church. And they were lukewarm. But Jesus sent them a letter and he told them to what? Repent and get enthusiastic again. And this church listened to him and did just that. And they didn't wind up 
as the lukewarm church. They repented and listened to this. They became one of the most dynamic churches of Asia Minor, lasting longer than most of the other six churches. In 161 AD, their pastor got so stirred up and so on fire for the Lord Jesus that he was martyred because of his strong stand of faith. Can you... You don't ever hear that about this church. It's a lukewarm church. Well, they were a lukewarm church. But isn't it good to know that Jesus can pop us upside the head and we can get re- repent and get back the way we need to be. Is that right? Glory to God. So they repented and the pastor got so stirred up that they, they martyred him. <laughs> That's a good thing. And this church was so on fire for God that in 363 A.D. a major church council was held there and numerous church leaders came and were strengthened in the faith. Can you say amen? amen. So you see this church, start, it, 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 it became very lukewarm, but it didn't end up that way. This church repented, say repented. They repented and they got on fire to the point that the, the pastor was a flame of fire. He went from a... Think about this. He went from somebody that Jesus had spit out to he got so stirred up and so on fire that they martyred him. And the church was so vibrant, so on fire that they had leadership. They had a leadership council there to teach other people how to get on fire and serve Jesus. They repented. It's so good to know that we can repent. Did you get anything out of this teaching on these churches? I want to just close by saying, remember, what did Jesus say to all of the churches? Three things. He said, he said, uh, he that has an ear to hear, let him hear. He wants all churches to be hearing churches. He said to all the churches, I know your works. He wants all churches to be working churches. And to all three churches, he said to him that overcomes, he wants all churches to be overcoming churches. Say hearing, working, overcoming. Stand with me if you would. Heavenly Father, as I've taught these wonderful people that you've assigned to me over the last many weeks concerning your message to the church, I trust that we've all heard what it is the Spirit of God has been saying, not only to the churches mentioned in the book of Revelation, but the church here in Fenton, Summit Church. And I trust that each one has heard what they've needed to hear. Sir, my intention, as you know, in this was not to beat anybody up, but just to simply teach the word of God and let the words of Jesus speak to us all. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged and correct where we need to be correct, corrected. And so I trust that that has been accomplished over the last many weeks, that there's been encouragement where encouragement needed to be shared. And this church is full of so many good people that love you so much. And I'm so happy and excited to have them assigned to me, the people you put here. We love them so much and and, and they're, they're, they're to be commended. But yet all of us, no matter who we are, need to make corrections. And so I trust that all of us will hear what the Spirit of God is saying to make those corrections as necessary. And sir, as we move on out into the future, we trust that we'll be a church that not only hears your word, but does your word. And overcomes all that the devil would set in our path. And that we'd help as many people as we can before the coming of the Lord. And I hear the Spirit of God telling me to say this to you and remind you of this. That at the end of the church age, we've been studying about the church age in Revelation 2 and 3. 
And we've studied concerning the church age. In the last 2,000 years, we've been in the church age. But in, as Revelation 3, chapter 3 concludes, and we move to Revelation chapter 4, John, who is in the Spirit on the Lord's day, hears a sound as, a, as of a trumpet speaking to him, saying, Come up hither, and I'll show you things that must take, must take place after this. And so at the end, as the church age concluded, the next great event after that was the rapture of the church, where the Lord himself descends from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ rise first. And then we who are alive and remain in Christ, alive and remain, will be changed in a moment, twinkling of an eye, will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so that's the next great event that lay, lay, lay upon the scene for the church, because the church age is about to culminate and the rapture of the church is nigh at hand. But we don't know the day or the hour. Jesus said he didn't even know the day or the hour. But that's reserved for the Father. But we do know we're in the season. And so I want to encourage everyone. Win as many people to the Lord as you can. Win as, be sure you're in Christ. And then if you're in Christ and there's anything in your life that should not be there, repent of it and get it out. And then win as many people to the Lord as you can because the coming of the Lord is nigh at hand. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you've never received him as your savior, never made him the Lord of your life. Before you leave here today, walk up here to the front, talk to these nice people, and they'll introduce you to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can, you can be, get saved, become born again in a moment of time. Miss hell and make heaven. If you need something else, just prayer for whatever it may be, healing, whatever, come on up. These nice people will pray with you. How many of you are glad that you got in on the teaching of the, of the churches? Amen. Amen. Well, let's just raise our hands and thank the Lord for it. Let's just thank the Lord. Just thank Him. Just thank Him. Thank Him for it. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that you've spoken to us concerning, concerning the churches. We love you, we bless you, we praise you. Now for the ice cream, we've had our spiritual fellowship, now we're going to have our natural fellowship.